So we're talking about the woman at the well today. But I want to start out with something else. Many of you have read my all-time favorite children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Now, these are definitely children's books. I remember reading the whole lot of them in fourth grade. I could not put them down. But despite the fact that they are children's books, Lewis is able to convey deep, deep theological principles with rich allegory. And I think that I may have missed a little bit of that in fourth grade, but going back and reading it, whew. So this book starts with these four children. They're displaced from their home in London because of World War II. They're sent to the country to live with a stranger for their own protection and safety. And there in this stranger's house, during a game of hide and seek, the four children find this wardrobe. But it's no ordinary wardrobe. In it, they are transported to another land, a land called Narnia. And much like our world here today, there is a battle happening in Narnia. It's a battle for good and evil. In it, there is a, a witch, a queen, who threatens the whole of the land to take away its life, to take away its goodness, its warmth, its freedom. She is the antithesis of God. She is the antithesis of Jesus. But also in this book, we find Christ, represented by Aslan. And so as these four children are being told about Aslan, the one who's going to come and redeem and save all things, they learn that he's not quite what they thought. It goes like this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's not safe. He's not a tame lion. But I think in Lewis's description of Aslan, he really landed on who Jesus is, right? He's not safe. He's not tame. He doesn't fit in our box. And he certainly did not fit in the box of the Jewish people for what they expected of a Messiah. But he's good. He went against Jesus went against everything that the Jewish people believed to be right and moral and good and true when he sat down with this one woman at the well. God's chosen people, the people you would think would have their finger on the pulse of exactly what God was doing, exactly what God wanted from his people. But to them, this encounter would have been very shocking. We see another example of 
Jesus not being tame or safe, if you will. Just last week with the sermon that Rich stood up here and preached about the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, when Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath when no work was to be done. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus continues to step outside those boundaries of what people thought was normal and right and okay and safe, and he pushes the envelope and why he does this to bring hope and to bring salvation. So let me give you a little bit of background on the passage that we just read. Samaria is a small region. It's north of Judea and it is south of Galilee. And as you read through the New Testament, you will hear of Jesus passing between Galilee and Jerusalem often. And so at that point, when you're traveling between those two places, you would either have to travel through the region of Samaria or you would have to go a long way around to get to where you were going. At one point, these geographical places that we're talking about used to be united as one. They were one kingdom. But eventually there was conflict and it was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judea in the south. And over time, conquering nations came in, the kingdoms, they, they fell and they rose and there was a lot of turmoil, there was some exile. But in spite of all of this, the disagreements, the not seeing eye to eye, it remained, it stayed. And so hatred grew between these people. The Jews actually considered the Samaritans to be little more than dogs. They thought that they were undeserving of anything that they were being taught or learning about because they had intermarried with some of these conquering nations. And so they were impure. They were not the real Jewish people. The Samaritans, on the other hand, believed that the Jews were completely wrong in their understanding of Scripture. They believed that anything after the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that are believed to have been written by Moses, that anything after that was not scripture at all, and how dare the Jews count it as such. So there was a lot of disagreement and back and forth. The Samaritans believed that Jews should be, or, uh, God should be worshipped on Mount Gerizim. The Jews believed that God should be worshipped in Jerusalem at the temple, and they would argue about who was right and who was wrong. And it got to the point where for a Jew... You would not even buy food from a Samaritan. You would go the long way around to avoid the Samaritans. Not only could buying food from a Samaritan make you unclean, ceremonially unclean, which is what any upstanding Jewish man would avoid at all costs because that brings shame. Never mind eating with a Jew or conversing with a Jew or drinking water from the same vessel as a Samaritan. They, they would not do that. That wouldn't be something that they would do. But like the Jews, Samaritans believed very much so that a Messiah was coming, a great prophet who was gonna explain all things to all of them and break down the barriers, one who would bring salvation. The Samaritan he talks to it's not just a Samaritan, but a woman. 
and women were not held in very high regard in much of the ancient population, including with Jews. And while there was some risk that encountering a Samaritan man could make you unclean, it was most certain that having dealings with a Samaritan woman would definitely make you unclean. They were to be avoided. To the Jews, the Samaritans were dirty, broken people with no hope for true standing with God. No hope. Okay, so even with just this little bit of information in this account, Jesus, a Jewish rabbi speaking to this person was incredible and it was shocking and his disciples, because they had been with Jesus for so long now, they were shocked, but they knew better than to say anything. Jesus is once again doing the unexpected. But not only was she a Samaritan, and not only was she a woman, but we can infer before Jesus says anything that she has some kind of a past, something that she's running from, something that she's trying to hide. She was likely an outcast in society, or at least would have been if her village knew anything about her past. So John includes several more details to to help us infer this. One, it's the middle of the day. Let me tell you about the middle of the day where they were. It is hot. The sun is scorching. It's unforgiving. Women at this time would go to the well to gather water in the morning, or if they needed more than it was at night. It was certainly not the middle of the day. And the other thing he tells us is that she's alone. This was a social thing for these women. They'd go at the same time. It was a time for friendship and camaraderie. I want you to think about a middle school dance. Can we go back that far? One girl has to go to the bathroom. All the girls have left the gym and gone to the bathroom. We don't travel alone. It's not what we do. We move in herds and flocks, right? The same was true then. This was a time of building friendship and camaraderie, but she's alone in the middle of the day. Whatever reason it was, we don't know if the village knew about her marred past, or maybe she just was avoiding them because she didn't want them to find out. Let me hide. Let me hide. So all these things, she's, she's a woman. She's alone. She's a Samaritan. She probably has an ugly past, and Jesus does what? He tosses aside man's wisdom. He tosses aside man's good judgment, and he does the unthinkable as a Jewish rabbi. Why? Because Jesus' potential discomfort in what other people might think was completely and utterly outweighed by what was at stake. An entire group of people was potentially at stake. So if this woman was in shock at all, that a Jewish man would sit down and talk with her, she was probably much more in shock that he then was willing to drink from the same cup, because that would have made him unclean. Funny though, she puts her shock aside pretty quickly. She puts the shock aside when Jesus offers her a potential way to not have to come back to this well again. You see, she believed that Jesus was offering her real, literal water. 
She didn't understand what he was getting at. And how convenient, how much better and easier life would have been if she didn't have to travel to this well in the middle of the day by herself. If she could just hole up and not have to make this trip. She only had one question after that. It wasn't a, why are you talking to me and what is this all about? It was a, where do I get some of that water? Where is it at? But Jesus, he's not tame. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't skirt around the truth. He doesn't fit in her box. But he's good. He's so good. And even if she doesn't know that she needs it, he hits on a nerve. Oh, a close-to-home nerve. Go call your husband. What do I say? What do I do? I can imagine what she was thinking. Here's this Jewish man speaking with me, and now I'm going to have to bring up my shame all over again. I'll try a half-truth. It's not quite a lie, right? It's not a lie. I have no husband. But it's not totally the truth either, is it? Don't we try to do that too sometimes when something gets a little too close to home or when something starts to bring up something that we're not ready to deal with, something that's happened in our life or something we're ashamed about? What do we do? We deflect. (laughs) Look at this over here. We protect ourselves. We put all the walls all the way up Whatever to protect is what we do. And this woman, she did the exact same thing. But Jesus, the Son of God, knows better, thankfully. He shuts down her deflections completely and brings the conversation back to the point. She brought up those differences as a deflection, right? But he tears the differences away and says, guess what? It doesn't matter. Here's why. When the Messiah comes, it just doesn't matter. So he strips that away. Worship changes in light of the Messiah. Oh, he strips that away. He even knows the real truth about her, about her past. And he's still speaking to her. And when it's all finally stripped away and gone, no more half-truths to tell, no more deflections, No more escaping what this man knows. When it's all stripped away, she believes. And when she believed, what happens next is incredible. When she believed, she was moved. She was moved to tell everyone what she knew. She left her water, the very thing she had come for. She leaves it behind. She goes to her village, and she shares the joy that she had found. The Messiah, the great prophet, he was here, and it didn't matter that he knew her shame. Something in that conversation, something in Revelation, something was revealed of who Jesus was in that conversation. And it set her free from her bondage and fear. And guess what, church? Jesus still does that today. 
Jesus, if you let him strip away your protections and your deflections will set you free too. We can be moved beyond brokenness. So what does this transformed woman do? She tells the whole village. She, the once broken, shame-filled woman, well, actually, I mean, it's only been like 20 minutes. How much has really changed in her life yet? Yet she's transformed. She's responsible for bringing the good news to that village, and I would argue later on that whole region. And if there's anything I want you to get today, church, this is it. Listen up, open your eyes, open your ears. You do not have to have it all together to have an impact on God's kingdom. You do not have to have it all together to change the lives around you for good. You do not have to have it all together to change the entire course of one person's life and eternity. You simply have to be willing to share what you do know. What have you experienced with Jesus? There's another group of people in this story I want to talk about. We've got the woman's story here. But I want to talk about what Jesus did. The people he represented. You see, he was representative of the Jewish people. And I think that sometimes we can relate to them too. As much as we can relate to the brokenness of the woman, I think we can also relate to the Jewish people. Sometimes, though we want to serve God, and though we want to bring this story, and we know we have the answers of salvation, I think there are some people in our lives, or maybe even people groups, maybe they don't even have names, where it just feels like they are just too much, and we are just too different to have this conversation. Who is it that we see as unclean in our lives? Who is it that we avoid? Who is it that's just too hard to approach or too hard to love? I think we avoid people for a number of reasons. And, and sometimes, I know for me, it's been, it's just easier. It's just easier to avoid. If we admit it, there's some people we feel like there is just no hope for you. They are so stubborn in their worldview, so why, why bother? They're not going to change. Maybe it's people on the other side of the po political fence. We feel like they are so wrong. They're never going to get God. They're never going to accept Christ. It's not worth the fight. Maybe it's that really annoying neighbor who doesn't keep their property up and just wants to pick a fight with the whole neighborhood. Maybe... It's your child's teacher who seems to have it out for your kid. Ooh, we mama bears, we don't do well with that, do we? Don't come after my child. But we feel justified in it. You know, the Jews certainly did. They knew the Samaritans were wrong. They knew the Samaritans were unworthy. They knew they were unclean, and they didn't even want to have to engage with that. It was just easier to avoid, go the long way around. 
Jesus says something different to the shock of even his disciples. With his actions, he said, Samaritans, you are worthy. You are worthy of a Messiah. You are worthy of salvation. You're worthy of living water. So who is it that we try to avoid like the Jews avoided Samaria? So I had a revelation this summer, but in order to understand that, we have to go back two summers. A couple of summers ago, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip uh, with North River to Peru. And when I was in Peru, I experienced poverty like I'd never seen before in my life. I'd been on so many mission trips, but I'd never experienced anything quite like this. There were kids running around crazy with no parents to be found. There was trash strewn everywhere you went. There were families living in a garbage dump, literally living in a garbage dump in these makeshift homes that resembled nothing like what we would call a home. And they would pick through the trash to earn their living. These dirty little children running around, but happy. They're so happy. It was something that tore my walls down for a little while. I'm not saying this experience was easy for me because that's, that should not be easy for anyone. It did become easy for me to separate it out of my mind so that it didn't become overwhelming. This is a different country. They do things differently. They have very different values than we have. And I realized that just because somebody has different values of me, that doesn't make them wrong or bad in any way, shape, manner, or form. This is just the way they do things. And, and that's okay to be different from me. And so I justified what I saw there on, oh, there's all these cultural differences and that's, you know, that's, that's okay. And what else can I do anyways? I mean, I'm thousands of miles from Peru. Um, best I can do is maybe offer something financially or pray for them. Um, but I was able in this way to take that experience and tuck it on this shelf in the back of my mind and just kind of leave it there packaged up nice and neat until this summer. This summer, I went on a mission trip to Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine is in our backyard. It is two and a half hours from here. It is in New England. It is culturally very much the same as where we live. And again, I experienced some things. But I couldn't repackage these. It was a little too close to home. While we were there, we served in a, a soup kitchen for half of the day. We served breakfast and lunch. They were there. But this, this resource center... Um, actually served 200 meals at each sitting, each meal, three times a day, 365 days a year. It was incredible. Uh, and they provided many, 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 many other services. I mean, just a remarkable organization. But our job was to serve food. Now, we served the elderly who maybe didn't have enough Social Security coming in and couldn't make ends meet, and so this is how they got their food. We served the homeless. We served the refugee population. We served the addicted. So you had all these people in so many different walks of life in one place. 
And we were giving them just this basic, basic human need. And so some people, they would come in and they were well-dressed and you would not know that this is someone who would need to go to a soup kitchen for food were you to pass them on the street. They had their wits about them, they were clean, everything normal, normal. But others came in, they were, they were dirty and they stank of urine and they could barely stand on their own two feet. And as I stood there serving food, people would come through the line and the most unlikely of people, at least when you look at them, would be the ones to smile and say, thank you, God bless you, and we're just so grateful. And I realized, this is happening in my own backyard. There's a need in New England where they have to serve 200 meals three times a day just in this one area. And I realized that even though I didn't do it on purpose, even though it wasn't conscious, these are the people that I avoided. These were my unclean. Were I to meet one of these people on the street, if I'm being honest, I might be a little scared. In some of the states that I saw people in, I might be a little scared. I certainly wouldn't strike up a conversation. And in my head, it's always been this, there's someone else for that. I'm not equipped. There's someone else for that. And so I've realized over time with this experience that not only could I not package this up and put it on the shelf nice and neatly, but I couldn't leave Peru there either. That I can't forget what I've seen and what I've experienced. I can't avoid people because it is uncomfortable or because I disagree. That there are those outcasts right here in New England. Whew. I realize I don't want it to be out of sight, out of mind, but that's often the way things go sometimes. I don't want it to be there are other people for that. And my experiences main taught me, are there really other people for that? I mean, I was shocked. The organization we were working with actually went on to tell us that they have such a hard time finding volunteers in the summer that a lot of the college groups have left that would normally fill that need, or people are going on vacation, and so if this mission organization didn't step up, they're not sure how they would have run. Whoa, I was bowled over. I didn't think me being there really mattered, but it did. So is there really someone else? So, and there may be groups or people that you haven't thought about, you're not consciously going, oh, I'm gonna avoid them, or, or they're unclean, or they're outcasts. But think about this. Is anyone else going to share about Jesus' transforming work with your coworkers that you can't stand? We all have them. Well, I don't. I mean, I work in a church. <laughs> Things are great here. No, I actually mean that. 
Is anyone going to share how Jesus died on the cross for us to bring healing into the world with that one loner at your school? The weirdo no one wants to talk to? Is anyone else going to share the power of redemption to that one acquaintance? I know you have it. I have several who are constantly posting divisive, malicious, controversial content online, on social media. Oh, the temptation to hit unfriend. Right? But who's going to do it if you don't? We are all, church, called and equipped by God to share his story of salvation. We're all called. He isn't safe, but he's good. Jesus broke all the social norms. Everything that was prescribed as acceptable by the Jewish people. When he sat down and he met with this broken woman right where she was at and he showed her some kindness and gave her back her humanity. He isn't safe, but he's good. Jesus disarmed her. He took her so far out of her comfort zone. She had to look her shame in the face. But in her discomfort, she found living water. He isn't safe, but he's good. In doing what wasn't the safe thing to do, Jesus brought her whole village beyond brokenness. A woman who felt like an unimportant nobody, who didn't have her life together. She was the catalyst for a whole group of people. And some of you today, I know you probably feel like this woman. I know there are some of you here. You feel like you don't have anything to bring to the table. You feel like your past is too big. Your mistakes are too great. If people only knew. You feel like a nobody in God's kingdom. But I'll tell you this. It has been some of the most broken nobodies that God has used to change the world. The Samaritan woman is one of them. Here we are 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her and everything that was accomplished through her. Jesus' 12 disciples, that verse this morning that David read about them realizing that these disciples were ordinary people, that was not planned, but oh, it fits right in. They were ordinary. They were nobodies before Jesus came along. And others that we've talked about in this series, like Peter and Moses and King David, they started as nobodies until God got a hold of them and they became willing to be obedient to him. Church, hear me. You do not have to have it all together to have a tremendous impact on God's kingdom. You do not have to have it all together to change the lives around you for good. You do not have to have it all together to change the entire course of someone's life for eternity. You simply have to be willing to share what you do know about Jesus with everyone. North River, you 
can make all the difference in someone's life if you let Jesus work through you, if you're willing to share your story. And I pray that that's what you all go out and do because we can change the entire South Shore. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who redeems all things, that you are the God who heals the broken, that you are the God who gives us a story to tell. And we pray here today, Lord, that you would work in each person in this room, Lord, that they would know that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are seen by you. Lord, may they go out and share what it is that you have done in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, we're going to move into a time of offering. Um, this is another time of worship. I know we, we think of worship oftentimes as singing. We think of it as praying. The act of giving biblically is also an act of worship, and so we hope that you will give generously today. Stand and sing with us.